The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. The hallmark of the Jewish Living Podcast is highlighting practical issues related to Orthodox Judaism. And this week, we'll be discussing one of the most practical halachos that is not getting that much press, especially if you live outside of Israel. Many of us may not even be aware that this coming year is Shemitah, and while that may not have an immediate effect on most of the people living here in the States, we thought it would be a good idea to brush up on some of the issues you may not have had to think about for the last seven years. That's why we invited on this week's guest. Hi, my name is uh, Rabbi Matu Rabinowitz. I am a Rav, a Yitzhurin, here in Ramah B'Chemish. Um, I'm Osek very much in medical halacha, Choshemishpah, but also halacha satuis ba'aretz, halachas which is to do with Eretz Yisrael, especially this evening to do with Shemitah. Rabbi Rabinowitz will take us through a brief overview of Shemitah and what it may mean for those of us here in Israel, or if we're able to go this year at some point, any of us visiting. So, Rabbi Rabinowitz, thank you so much for joining me this week all the way from Merit Israel. We have had a fun time scheduling this, especially with the time difference. Uh, and I Indeed. truly appreciate you coming on to talk to us about um, a special halacha that is only relevant once every seven years or so. Um, and that's actually the second time we've done that. This the way we did a CMHS thing, but now we're going to deal with, uh, <laughs> yes. with Shemitah. It's kind of kind of on the same cycle. Well, that's a seven and a half. Years. Seven and a half. So, yeah, almost, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you can give us just first start off uh, a little bit of background information about you, how you got to Israel. Obviously, you sound American, so that probably wasn't where you started. And, no, uh, no, no, no. And how you decided <laughs> that this is uh, this is a, a specific area that you wanted to focus on. Absolutely, yeah. So I actually grew up in the UK. You probably cannot tell from my accent, which That's is a correct. bit of a mess at this point in my life. Um, I grew up in the UK. My father was a rev there. I went to school uh, in the UK. When I finished high school, I made Aliyah at the ripe old age of uh, 16. I made Aliyah by myself. Um, and uh, I went to Karami Avenue. I lived in Karami Avenue for, for quite a few years. The army also. Um, and then I went into Chinuch. Uh, Hashem, I've uh, spent, spent quite a few years both in post-high school yeshivas and then uh, also as a Rebbe in several high schools in the States and uh, lived in the States for a while and came back here Baruch Hashem, five years ago with a family. Um, Eretz Yisrael is the love of my life in many ways, as are many other things, but uh, Eretz Yisrael is definitely the love of my life. I've always been very interested in uh, the halachas at Louis Baruch, or the halachas to do with Eretz Yisrael, Shemitah, Trumas, Maestros, everything that's unique to, uh, to living here. Um, and I have my own yard, so now it, it becomes even more relevant now. That's a rarity in Eretz Yisrael. Not everybody gets their own yard. Well, yeah, it's true. And even <laughs> if you do get a yard, you get like a two feet by two feet or something yeah. like that. But everyone has a merpeset, so it's also right. it's also relevant to merpeset. So okay, wow. Gorgeous. So let's jump right into it. Um, let's get a little bit of a background. Like Shemitah is something that everybody like has in the back of their mind that there is, there is something. Obviously, for us in the States, it's not as relevant per se, mm-hmm. but definitely for people in Eretz Yisrael, um, it, is, it is very relevant. And we'll, we can get maybe into American and, and Chutzlaras people uh, what, they, can, what they, they should know moving forward. But let's back it up a little bit. Let's start just sure. with the very basics uh, and a brief overview of Shemitah. And I'll let you take over from here. If there's anything specific that I want to jump in on, I will for sure jump in. Uh, sure. But just do me a favor and take, take it away. Sure, definitely will. So if we start off with uh, where the Torah tells us in Pashas Bahar, about Shemitah, that uh, the Torah tells us that we're supposed to rest every seventh year. And this is one of those mitzvot that one really relevant, I wouldn't say 
not relevant, but one really kept for a long time in our Jewish history, if you think about it, um, the, the base of English, we just said Tisha B'Av, base of English, which destroyed about uh, 1950 years ago. And then um, there were Jews in Eretz Yisrael for a couple hundred years, times of Mishnah, but then everything dispersed and went all over the place. And as we all, many of us come from Chutzaretz, I was speaking in English after all. So we know that everything moved abroad. And only recently, really only, only in the past 100, 200 years, have these topics of uh, Shemitah and Trumas and Maishas and things like that really come back to life as, you know, Baruch Hashem, we've been able to come back um, and uh, many people making Aliyah and doing the Nefesh Benefesh thing. And finally, we have so many people here and Shemitah and all these mitzvahs now become so relevant. So um, the, the Torah tells us it was just the rest and the Rishon would speak about, commentaries speak about what's the purpose of resting during the seventh year. And just we'll take the, the main theme which is for us to recognize that our Parnassa, which, you know, if you lived in the times of Tanakh, and probably not as relevant today, was people were agricultural. People had their own farms, their subsistence farming. So that was your Parnassa. Your Parnassa is in the hands of Hashem. One year you have to say, I'll let Hashem take care of it. It's all going to be okay. It's kind of funny coming out of Corona, coming out of COVID, or actually we're still in COVID, I guess, um, whatever wave we're up to at this point. It's, it's kind of a lesson that perhaps we don't need to learn. We perhaps might not feel that we need to learn, but still, we, we, we have to let go a bit from our parnasa and recognize that Hashem is running the world and that uh, things have to stop a bit and we just let Hashem feed our parnasa, literally and figuratively. Right. So let, let's go into more practical things. What, what does yeah. Shemitah affect? Um, and I, I guess, what are you allowed to do and what are you not allowed to do? Great question. So the Torah specifies a couple of different melachos in Midoraisa, a couple of main things that are forbidden, totally forbidden. So one of those is zria. One of those is planting something, planting seeds, planting trees, bushes, anything like that, planting grass. So that will be, that's also from Torah. Uh, harvesting, harvesting fruits is also also in Torah. And also pruning, something, pruning, it doesn't sound like it's a major thing, but pruning, if anyone has done pruning in the fall, for their trees, for any plants that they have, the purpose of pruning is to promote growth. It's uh, it, you, you cut down a certain percentage of your of your older uh, of, sorry, of your of your dead branches and things like that, and that promotes growth for the next year. So those are the things which are awesome in our Torah. So that means, Torah-wise, um, essentially you cannot plan anything new. But then Chazal tell us that just like we have on Shabbos, we have others and Talagos, we have things that are the primary melachos, and we have things which are. Um, if you want inflections of those, we also have in Shemitah, we have Malachas Drabon and you're not allowed to do, which are not included in that. So for example, weeding, fertilizing, a lot of things that you usually do in, ma in maintenance of your yard, those are forbidden Midrabana, rabbinically. But because they're only rabbinic, and this is the critical point, which we'll get into maybe a bit more now, because they're only rabbinic, those things are only prohibited when you are using them to promote growth, when you're using them to, to create new growth when you're just maintaining what you have. So for example, let's take watering. Let's take something like watering. Watering, as we know, is on Shabbos, it's also to water your plants because that promotes growth. It's like a tolada, it's a sub, uh, subsection, if you want, of zriya, of planting something, it promotes growth. So on Shemitah, watering is also, um, also it's only rabbinic, but it's allowed when you're watering just to make sure your plants don't die. So you have your tulias, whatever you've got in your backyard, and if you don't water them, they're gone. So you're allowed to water them to the extent that they won't die. But you're not allowed to water more than is necessary in order to promote further growth. 
So if that's you have like really a, the if you have like a patch of grass, you should be able to cut that and trim. You're it allowed, right. Exactly. So you're allowed to water grass that it won't die. Um, you're not allowed to water it, so you get this lush, you know, however high grass. Now, how do you know? That's really always the question with these things. How do you know how much water you can and cannot do? That's a tough question. That's why we have uh, gardeners and landscapers to tell us how much. My father is actually a retired landscaper. And actually, whenever we learn That's some funny. sort of a topic in, in, in yeshiva that required a, a question of what is this, what is this plant? What is this? Like my father would be the, the, the unofficial authority on what those things are. I'd have to go home with, That's I'd very have cool. to go home with like a, a picture, like ask my father, all right, what is this thing? And then I have to bring back the answer. It was always a thing in my house. Very interesting. Uh, my siblings also. So we mentioned before it's it's primarily for agestrol, but is there uh, some people that it affects more, some people that it affects less? Uh, yeah, I mean, so it's it's interesting. Again, in, in the past, probably you would think of, and when we think coming from Kutzar, it's who it affects, we think of farmers. Again, primarily we think of farmers, people who have the kibbutzim and things like that. They have large fields or large orchards of fruits. And that's obviously going to affect what they can do. But nowadays, as we mentioned before, most people um, have some have their own apartments, have their own houses, whether they have an actual patch of, you know, ground, which we'll call the yard, or whether they have plants outside on their, on their merpesset, on their porch. Um, most people have plants of some sort. So it's not just relevant to farmers. It's actually relevant to pretty much everyone who's living in Israel has to think about how it affects them personally. Right. Um, all right. So we have this classic ability to kind of skirt the idea of, of Shemitah by making everything hefter. And you talk a little bit about uh, making all of your, all the fruits that you're growing, all, all, all of your plants hefker and what that, what that really means. Well, actually it's, 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 it's sort of the other way around actually. Okay. Um, the Torah tells us that we have to make, we have to make all our fruits hefker. So part of, as we mentioned before, part of the point of Shemitah is that we relinquish our control over what we think is ours. And we let Hashem essentially take control of our lives, of our parnasas. So one of the mitzvahs of Shemitah is if you do have fruits growing or whatever it is growing in your yard, you're supposed to make it hefker. You're supposed to um, allow people to access your fruits if they have shavis, if they're growth, things that grew during Shemitah, you're supposed to allow people to, you know, so if you have an orange tree, a lot of people around here in, in Ramah Bechemish, which is where I live, a lot of people have lemon trees and uh, and uh, peaches and, and oranges and who knows whatever else. And these belong to people. They're not, they're not like just growing. Right, yeah, in their yards. They're in their yards. Exactly. So they, if you have fruits which have grown during Shemitah, you're supposed to put up a sign and say, anyone who wants these fruits can come get them. They are hefker. Now, it doesn't mean you have to let people walk through your house at any times, you know, two in the morning. Sorry, right, I'm house is not hefker. Right, exactly. Your house is not hefker. Your, your yard is not hefker. Just the fruits are hefker. So you, you can say, put up a sign, my, all the fruits of this uh, tree are hefker, please call uh, between these times if you would like to get them. Can you pick so them that actually is the point. put them out in like a barrel in front of your house saying these were, these were the... Okay. You could do that also. You could, okay. you, could, you could pick them and put them in a barrel or you can let them pick them, whatever it might be. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, before we move on to uh, a couple of more specific issues, uh, if you want to talk a little bit about Svichen. Svichen. Oh, right. So Svichen is a very interesting... Um, a very interesting rabbinic enactment, takana, that was made because they discovered, and this is not probably not so shocking, that um, not everyone was keeping Shemitah in the right way. So what do I mean by that? Shemitah only applies to things that grew during the seventh year. So for example, now we are in the summer and we haven't started Shemitah yet. And most people have in their yards, have things that they planted Pesach time in the spring. 
and they planted things and they have things are growing now. Most of those things are, don't, are not Shemitah produce. Um, they are uh, what's known as Shana Shishas, the 60th produce, right. even if they happen to roll over a bit into September. So no problems there. The problem was that people were, uh, and if things grow by themselves, you didn't do any malacha. So let's say you had seeds that fell from your tree and hey, you got a new, you got a new tree. That shouldn't be a problem. You didn't do anything wrong there. There's nothing, there's nothing uh, Shmita forbidden about it. But what, what happened, what, what was happening was that people suddenly had vegetables growing in their yards during Shmita, and people would say, hey, I didn't plant that. Uh, that was something that fell by itself. That's something somehow leftovers from last year, right? So Chazal basically enacted that anything that is has one-year growth, it's an annual growth, has one-year growth, at, like a vegetable, essentially, that grows during Shemitah. Even if you didn't do it, you didn't do anything, it's still usa. It's actually usa to eat it. That's called Svichen, because people were essentially faking it and saying that it was uh, it was mutter produce when it actually they actually planted it that year. It, it, it sounds like the uh, the case of people having to wear masks even though they've been vaccinated. Well, yeah, that one's a bit more visible, I guess. <laughs> Um, but yeah, people were faking it. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so let's get into more of the the practical everyday like concepts that that, that might affect people. So first of all, the thing that's going to be on everybody's mind um, when it comes to shemitah, at least that shouldn't be everybody on my mind at least, is people who like you do this for a living, uh, farmers, uh, supermarkets, things that people that use um, produce as part of their everyday uh, how they get by. What are they doing during shemitah? So it's actually, I would divide it into two categories. Um, you have the farmers, that's the most obvious uh, category. You actually have landscapers, um, like uh, if, if your father was living in Israel. Right. So, you know, landscapers, what do they do during Shemitah? Well, there's plenty of those around. So what do they do during Shemitah? So I actually, I'll start with the second category first. Okay. The, the landscapers, what they are doing right now is they are working, they don't have summer vacation. They have to get a boatload of work in before Rosh Hashanah, so they have what is it, six weeks now We're in the middle of Av? They have about six weeks now to do everything they need to do for people's yards before Shemitah. During Shemitah, they can, they can do um, maintenance for things that will get destroyed if they don't do it. But before Shemitah, they are working very, very hard now. So hopefully they are making uh, more Parnassah now. So that covers them somewhat during Shemitah. Let me just ask but, you, is there some, are there specific things that they have to do differently this year in preparation for Shemitah that they wouldn't have to do, let's say, last year? Yes, there definitely are. But maybe, maybe let, let me answer the farmers and then come okay. back to that. Um, so farmers also, farmers have a couple of different things they do. Um, first of all, you might have seen many ads, I know in Mishpacha and many other magazines and probably in other places, for Karen Shvias, which is an organization that raises money for farmers that are, are keeping Schmitter properly um, and they're not working the ground. So it raises funds for them to sort of get them through a Shemitah. I, I don't know, obviously that depends on us, depends on how much we give towards these, uh, these organizations, how successful they will be and how much money the farmers will have. But that's one, um, that's one mode that, of, of essentially supporting the farmers during Shemitah. Another thing which is interesting, we will discuss a bit later, is something called Otsa Beistin, which is essentially the Bati Dinim um, in the country take over the orchards and the fields from the farmers and they manage them and distribute produce from them during Shemitah. So technically, you're not allowed to do business in Shemitah produce and things like that. However, it's the, they, they, they need the farmers, they need somebody to do the maintenance work, as we said, you're allowed to do maintenance work. They need the farmers to do the maintenance work. They need the farmers to rent out their tractors and who knows whatever else. So the farmers very often get some income coming in 
from sort of that maintenance work, right. which Basedin has to use them for. Let's go back to the uh, landscapers. Um, yes. What was my question on that? What what do they have to do different this year than uh, the... right? What do what do uh, landscapers have to do different? Yes, Manishana has yes. for landscapers. What is the what, what do landscapers have to do differently this year um, in preparation for Shemitah that they necessarily didn't have to do last year? Absolutely. So we mentioned that you are you're not allowed to plant. You're not allowed to um, really do any anything which is not necessary for the plants that they will. That, oh, you're allowed to do things that they will survive during Shemitah. So anything other than that, you have to do pre-shmita. So for example, you want to plant anything, um, that the cut the cutoff date for planting fruit trees is actually on Tubav, which is in two days' time. Right. So um, this is the last week for planting fruit trees, at least, before shmita, so that the trees have time to essentially grow into the ground before shmita kicks in. I'm so that is one halakha, for example. That it's going to be two days' time from when we're talking, but by the time this airs, it'll be two days ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. I, I didn't know that. That's okay. But uh, so that that's that that's one thing that farmer that uh, landscapers are doing. So anything which is non um, not necessary for survival. So fertilizing. Um, if you if you have fruit trees and you want to put down fertilizer for the fruit, you have to do that before shemitah. So anything like that which is not essential um, for the fruit for your garden not to die, you have to do now before shemitah. As opposed to regularly, you can obviously do that on an ongoing basis during the year. Okay, so there are a couple of things. Um, what about uh, publicly owned uh, land? And by publicly, I don't mean necessarily it's, 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 it's Hefker, but maybe the government owns it. How does that uh, play into it? And, and does the Israeli government yeah. do anything differently for Shemitah? Oh, a lot of good questions. Okay, so uh, as far as public land, it really comes into a couple of different categories. Um, first of all, in Israel, I guess you have that in the States somewhat, but in Israel, uh, a lot of people live in apartment buildings. Right. So um, very often apartment buildings will have a apartment building yard at the bottom and they'll have trees and bushes and things like that. So here you have a, it's not really publicly owned land, but it's a mutually owned land. So those organizations, those uh, apartment buildings also, ha also have to organize collectively since they are the owners, they have to collectively organize and do all their collective work before Schmitter, et cetera. So that's one category. But then you get into the towns. So Ramabi Chemish, Baruch Hashem is a very, uh, very pretty place. It's growing in leaps and bounds. Many people moving here, I'm sure this summer or so. Um, and, and there's lots of parks and there's lots of trees everywhere. So what happens to all of those during Shemitah? Do all the parks die? What happens to the maintenance of those? So, you know, as we mentioned, there are things that you can do to keep the parks alive. You're allowed to water them to the extent that you need to. That will happen during Shemitah. But all the pruning and all the preparations, all the cutting back and everything you can think of is happening right now. So constantly, if you go around the streets, you'll see that there's piles of, uh, you know, branches that they've been pruning back and everything. All the work is being done now before Shemitah. So even though usually you only prune in the fall, this year you're doing it much earlier to make sure that everything's ready for Shemitah. So that's what a lot of places are doing. I'm not sure everywhere. That's what a lot of places are doing. They're trying to preload pre the work for next year now during the summer. Now, we spoke a lot about the outdoor yards, yes. plants, and, uh, and, and fields. Uh, plants in my house. I have, I, hang, I have plants hanging in my, in my kitchen. Um, I'm sure some people in Israel do as well. Um, yeah, what, sure. what, what, uh, what are the halachas regarding those? Are they any different? So it's, it's interesting. There's a, there's a couple of different categories in halacha. And this, anyone who's learned any, any hilchos raim will know there's a couple of different categories of, in halacha for plants in general. 
So you have things that grow in the ground themselves. So I think that's obvious that that is covered in terms of Shmita. That's Sadechalos Isra. That's the, the Pasuk. So it's your field, your yard, whatever it might be. The question is, what happens to things which are indoors? What happens to plants which are not in the ground? There are either on top of the ground, maybe they're hanging, you know, from your kitchen ceiling, who knows what, whatever you have there. So what happens to those? Are those considered to be plants which are forbidden in terms of Hilchashita? It says, Sadecha, your field. They're not your field. There's something hanging off your ceiling. What is the story with that? So there's two different uh, categories here. There's what we call an atzitz nakuv, which atzitz nakuv, it means a plant which has holes in it. And then you have something which is atzitz enunakuv, a plant that doesn't have any holes in it. A plant that has holes in it, and most plants usually do, you have them for drainage at the bottom, that you know when you water, um, you have usually a plate or whatever it is underneath right. it to, to hold the water. So most plants have, uh, most plant pots, have drainage at the bottom. Those are considered to be attached to the land because ultimately, if you leave them for a while, you'll see the roots will actually grow out of the holes and they extend down to the ground. So Atzitz Nakov is considered to be part of the land. Those fully have the halachas of Shemitah, that fully have the halachas of Shemitah. Um, Atzitz She'enu if you have a plant pot that doesn't have holes in it, it's considered like a separate entity. It's not really in any way attached to the ground unless it's made of a material that's organically permeable like wood or perhaps even earthenware. Uh, if it's plastic, which a lot of people have for their plant pots of plastic, then that's that's not that's a separate entity. It's not considered attached to the ground. And if it's in your house, on top of that, it's in your house, which a house is not a field. Um, this is a, a big discussion amongst the postgim. What happens if you have something which is indoors? Is that considered to be uh, a part of Shemitah at all? Because Yoshami discusses this. So if it's something which is meaning you have a plant pot with no holes inside your house, you can continue doing whatever you need to do during Shemitah. You don't have to worry about it. If it's something that has holes, it's on the ground, then you have to treat it like Shemitah, hmm. like Shemitah produce, Shemitah, Shemitah plants. Okay, so, I mean, uh, just extending that, like here in, in, yeah. in, in, in New York, especially in New York City, um, yes. there's a lot of these urban, these urban gardens. Um, yes. So these aren't necessarily things that are like in the ground, they're kind of yes. on top of the ground, even though they're outdoors, they're sometimes on top of apartment buildings. I'm sure you have those in Aristotle also, where on, yes, top, on yes. top of apartment buildings, these things aren't in the ground, especially in Aristotle, the ground is so important. Is that considered something that- You're, you're, hitting, you're hitting all the good questions here. So this is actually a, a very, very interesting disagreement between Rishlom uh, and Orbach, Zichon and Racha, and I'm not mistaken, the Chazanish, um, in terms of what happens if you live in a high, if you live in a high floor. So let's say you have plant pots on your porch, on your, as you said, urban yard on the 10th floor somewhere. Is that considered like it's attached to the ground? I mean, it's on the 10th floor. You have air underneath your porch, let's say. So what is that considered attached? So um, there are those that, that are Mahmoud. The Rishon Mazamid Orbach felt that once you're not on the, once you're not on the ground floor, you can consider that to be Atzit She'eno Nakov. Essentially, even if you have holes in it, you have a gap between where you are on the ground. It's not attached to the ground. So that's already considered an atzitz she'enu nakuv. So if that's inside, if that's inside, you don't have to worry about shemitah. Even if it's on the ground, if it's on house if holes. It's, if, it's out, if it's outside, if it's on the top Outside, you, if it's outside, you have to still worry about shemitah. And the last so, one I'll ask about, okay, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I didn't no, that's fine, that's fine. I don't want to get too complicated here. Also, okay. a lot of the, the last one I'll ask you about is greenhouses. Is there any specific differences for a greenhouse versus, because that's indoors, where I could have a greenhouse on the top of my, on the top of my apartment building, but a, a, gen, 
generally a greenhouse probably isn't, but uh, are there any specific halachas about a greenhouse? Okay, so I'll, I'll go for a bit on a tangent here. So the answer is yes. That's the short answer. Now the long answer. <laughs> this came up way back when, it's not actually not that long ago, with Gush Katif. When Gush Katif was still in Gush Katif, so Gush Katif was famous for their greenhouses where they grew lots of vegetables, and they grew, uh, they grew what's something which is known as hydroponics in English, and in Hebrew it's called matzah menutak, which means it's essentially growing things which are detached from the ground, we grow them on, I guess, in containers, sort of, you know, on, on top of things, and it's inside a greenhouse, it's not in the ground, it's not anything, totally detached. So the, the Shiloh was asked, is this, it's a greenhouse, it's not in, it's not in a field, it's a house, and it's on, a detached from the ground, and the foliage isn't on top of the ground, all these different things, so is that okay during Shemitah? So th this was something that went round, went the rounds of posting. And the posting said it's okay. And that's one of the things which we'll get to probably soon. One of the ways we actually have um, produce during Shemitah, one of the many ways, is through hydro what's known as hy this hydroponics, which is growing in greenhouses, growing things which are not on the ground, are detached from the ground in a greenhouse. It's not considered to be, according to a lot of poskim, it's not considered to be uh, regular growth. And therefore, you are allowed to. Um, it's not. It doesn't have shemitah. The halachas of shemitah. Mm, okay. So, great question. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we move on, I, I have one more uh, question regarding uh, who can work on the ground. Let's say so. We 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 spoke about the farmers. Um, yes. A lot of farmers are going to have non-Jewish employees employed throughout the yes. year. Is there anything different that these non-Jewish employees uh, can or can't do? Is that any different? during Shemitah than it was from before Shemitah? So this is, again, uh, complicated, but I'll try, I'll try and whittle it down to the main, the main point. There's a whole discussion, which if you look at the Psukim, is a very interesting discussion as, as to what exactly is the prohibition of Shemitah. We said you're not allowed to plant, you're not allowed to, um, allowed to really um, plow during Shemitah. So if you're not allowed to do those, what is the prohibition? Is a prohibition on the person? We want to get into uh, yeshiva lingo, is it on the gavra, is it on the person, or is the prohibition on the field, that your field should not be worked on during uh, Shemitah? So that, that's really the question. So if you look at the psukim, um, it's actually two different psukim. One pasuk says, Sadecha lo sizra, you should not plant your field. It seems to imply that it's the prohibitions on you. On the other hand, it says, Vishav sahar, it's the land should rest. That seems to imply that we don't care who's working the land, right. but your land should rest. So that's really what it boils down to. Generally, the consensus is that it has to be also that the land is resting. So you cannot pull a fast one and say, hey, I'm not working in my yard. I'll go get, depending on which country you're in, uh, whichever nationality you're going to get to work your land um, because, hey, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing anything wrong. The guy's going to do it for me. No, your land has to rest. Your okay. land has to shove side. The land has to rest. It's yours. You're not allowed to let other people work on it. All right. So let's go the, the, a different way. Is there, like, like we do on Pesach when we sell our chametz, can I sell my land to a non-Jew, have them work oh, it boy. for a year, and then buy it back later? Yeah, that's, so that's what's known as hetemichira. And uh, we, we, I think maybe we'll get to that when we deal with, with the different types of produce. But yes, this is one of the innovations, uh, one of the famous discussions which has... Um, become very intense over the years as to whether one can do hetemchira, which is essentially selling one's land to, in Eretz Israel, obviously to, to Arabs, when they can sell one's land so that the land is now not mine, but somebody else's, and now it can be worked. Uh, now it can be worked. So maybe we'll get into a bit more detail soon on that. A lot of people in uh, America have 
homes in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, maybe mm. not necessarily that they have fields, but uh, they have homes. Is there anything I, that I would they think should, most people don't have fields? Most people don't have fields, but is there anything <laughs> that they should keep in mind? Um, that they should know before. And I, I, I would throw out one thing that we mentioned earlier, if they have an apartment, um, yes. their building might have to do some things if they own a field is there, and, and they might need to be a part of that. Is there anything right. else that they should know about that they might not be paying attention to? It's a summer that probably, they're probably in America at this point. Not heading they back might not even realize. Absolutely. And they might not realize. So is there anything that, that people who own property in Eretisral should think about now? Yeah, so to 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 essentially extend what we spoke about before. So if you, if you have an apartment and you are living in an apartment building, which has a uh, yard, so most apartments in Eretz Yisrael have, most apartment buildings have something which is known as a Vad Bayit, which is essentially the, the homeowners, homeowners organization that takes care of you know, maintenance of, of the building. So usually they will be discussing, uh, they were discussing at this point in time, what needs to be done before Shemitah um, for the yards. One has to make sure that that's happening. But it, let's leave that out. Let's say you have your own yard in your apartment. You have your own uh, mirpeset. You have things there. You have to make sure that you bring in a landscaper to make to do any work that needs to be done that cannot be done during Schmidt, obviously, to make sure everything is done before Rosh Hashanah. As I said, I think landscapers and gardeners and whatever else are extremely busy this time of year. They're not, they're not taking summer vacation. I think they'll have enough of vacation next year. So um, that, that's definitely something you need to take care of beforehand. Just an interesting point. I, I received a Shiloh just last week from somebody who mentioned that they are buying an apartment right now. They're in the process of purchasing an apartment actually here in Ramah Bechemesh, and that apartment is going to have a yard and um, they are probably going to take ownership sometime during Shemitah. Now, usually before you take ownership, the Kablan, the contractor is going to bring in dirt. He's going to put down dirt in the yard. He's going to do a bit of work there. He's not going to do anything fancy, but he's going to do the preparations for a yard in there. Are you permitted to let the Kablan, to let the contractor do that. So what I said to him was that I think, again, this is getting into Chosha Mishpat already, but I think that generally it's accepted that until you've paid all the amount, all the money, your contractor will say usually, until you've paid everything, until you get the keys, the apartment is not technically yours. So that's probably not an issue if you're having work done before you've taken ownership. But yes, you're 100% right. Anyone who owns an apartment or a house uh, who lives in Chutzar, it's even though it's, it's very distant uh, both uh, physically and sort of mentally, you're not thinking you're in the Catskills and no one's thinking about, hey, what am I doing in my apartment? But you, you still have to remember that before Shemitah, make sure you bring somebody in, somebody in to take care of what needs to be taken care of for Rosh Hashanah. All right. Um, you are, are you allowed to buy a piece of property that includes a yard during Shemitah? No reason why not. No okay. reason why not it's, at all. It's just the produce yeah. that comes from it. Exactly. The only thing which is prohibited is doing malacha, doing work on it. And any produce that grows on it has a kedusha of Shemitah, but you have to be mafkir, you have to make a hefkir for everyone. You're allowed to purchase, sure. All right, let's jump back to the hetem here because we mentioned it already. And I, yeah. I want to I I take a little bit of time to talk about it. So first of all, I think we are, at, based on our conversation, we already figured out what the hetem here is. But if you can give a little bit of a, of a history about the uh, hetem and what it entails and what it does not entail. So uh, I could probably speak for a whole week on this one, but um, <laughs> let's try, let's try five whole, minutes. Well, there's whole books written on this topic, but I'll try and again, whittle it down historically and, uh, and the pros and cons as much as I can. So about in the mid 19th century, um, when Jews were starting to come back to Eretz Israel, the, the, the students, the Talmudim of the Vilna Gaon and the, the Baal Shem Tov started coming back to Eretz Israel. So the issue came up where the, the issue of 
also known as the Yishuv Yashem, um, the, the Yishuv really didn't have any way of surviving produce-wise financially. The farmers who were starting up the new places, which you probably heard of Zichron Yaakov and Rishon Litzi and all these places, I mean, they had no way of surviving during Shemitah. So um, there was no Karen Shvius at that time. So um, what were they going to do? So there was a whole discussion amongst the Gdolim, amongst the many poskim in Europe, whether we can come up with this, with this new idea, which is let's sell the land to the Arabs and then they can continue to be worked and produce can still be used, et cetera, during Shemitah. This was a very, very, very big discussion, a very big um, uh, argument between many of the poskim in Europe. So for example, people like the Nitziv from Velazhin was very much against this, um, the Aruch HaShulchan, uh, the famous people were very much against it, but there were a lot of proponents also. And they said, because the, the, the issue of the people moving to Israel in such dire financial straits, this is something we have to be, find a header for based on many different things. Um, this started in the 19th century, but as it became, as more and more people moved, you can imagine that the impetus for this obviously becomes larger and larger. The economic impact of Shemitah becomes greater and greater as you have more people to feed and more people living on the land. So as, as this uh, continued, um, a lot of the people who were opposed to Heta Mechira allowed it sporadically. So for example, the Rabbanim of Yerushalayim, Maharil um, Deskin or Shmuel Salant were very much against. They felt that one should not, this is a, this is a tremendous, uh, tremendous opportunity to keep the Mitzvah Shemitah. Why should we essentially circumvent the whole thing by selling land to the Arabs? So they did not want to use Heta Mechira, but there were one or two Shemitahs where they saw the situation was that bad that even they allowed it. The question then became, as, you know, as the issue became more, more industrial, is it really necessary to still do that? Um, and is it really, how halachic is it? There are a lot of issues with it, um, which we can discuss, you know, pros and cons. I'll try and discuss very, very briefly, if, if you would like. Okay. A couple of primary pros and cons here. So certain uh, post-game halachic authorities felt that there's a problem of losachaneh, which means the Gemara tells us that, you know, we're moving back to Eretz Yisrael, we're living in Eretz Yisrael, because Hashem gave us the land. So there's, a, there's an isser, there's a prohibition of selling land to non-Jews in Eretz Yisrael. So uh, Chazanish, for example, very much promoted this uh, concept of losachaneh, that, that there's a problem. You can't just sell land to, 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 to Arabs um, in Eretz Yisrael. That defeats the whole purpose of what we're making Aliyah for, in a way, which is, it's ours, we're living here. So we're selling the half the country to an Arab. So that doesn't make any sense. So the, sort of that, that was central idea, one of the reasons why the Chazanish was against it. Rav Cook was one of the proponents, famously of Heta Mechira. He gave a lot of reasoning why it might be okay. For example, he said that the prohibition of selling land to a guy in Eretz Yisrael, based on, on the Me'iri, one of the, one of the Rishonim, um, is only if you sell it to a, a non-Jew who worships Avodah Zara. So if you want to sell the land to a Hindu somewhere, that might be a problem. But if you're selling it to Yishmaelim, you're selling it to Arabs who we generally accept are not of the Avodah Zara, they're monotheistic. So maybe that's not a prohibition of Sukhanim. And again, this is a very large discussion. I don't know all, all the details. Two, but the two, I think, major points which are very relevant. One of them is how real is the sale? You mentioned before, for example, Mechiras uh, Chametz, when we sell Chametz every year. This is a discussion which always comes up. How real is the sale when you're selling? You know, are you really selling half the land, half the country to an Arab? I mean, you do you really mean it? Is that really true? Is it even legal? And one of the questions which came up, um, is it legal? In Israel, there's this backwards thing, um, backwards legalese, and there's a reason for it. Historically, before 1917, when the British 
took over during the, the, the end of the, towards the end of the First World War, the people who were ruling here were the Ottomans, the Turks. So the Ottoman Empire had, lot, had their own legal system. And one of the throwbacks to the Ottoman legal system is something which is known as the taboo. Taboo, actually. And it's not taboo, it's taboo. I have to pronounce that correctly. because <laughs> Obviously, that could mean something totally different. Something which is known as the taboo, which is essentially the land registry. So when you buy or sell land here, in order for it to be fully binding, it has to be registered in the sort of the official land registry. And that's not done. No one's doing that for half the country and registering it in you know, Muhammad's name. No one is doing that. So is the, is the wholesale fictional? Is it even legal? Right. So a lot of these questions have come up over, over time. Rebel Yashiv was very, Zuchon Elivrach was very against Hetemikir for this reason. He said, it's, it's a joke. No one's taking this seriously. No one's really selling the land. And, and you know, that, that's, that's one reason, which is a, a very, very definite, um, gives, a, gives us pause as to how serious it is. When we sell our also, that's a big question. Right. Uh, you know, how, how seriously are we really doing it? Are we really going to let the guy come in? I know certain Rabbanim have done this. Um, where they'll knock on your door on uh, stay the night and say, hey, you know, Joe wants to come in and get some of his whiskey. You know, how serious is it? Is right. it real? Is it a real sale? So that, that's one very, very big question. Um, which so I'm wondering if there's a market for this type of a thing for like a large corporation overseas to say, you know what, we'll buy all of this stuff and we'll make it all legit. We will come in. We will go through all of the paperwork for you. We'll, we'll put all this on together. Mm. And then at the end of the year, you'll have to trust us that we're going to sell it back to you. Well, that's, that's part of the problem. Do you do really, if you, if it's a real sale, you, you can do a sale, you know, in Halacha, you can do a sale for a specific amount of time. You can say, I'm selling it for a year, for two years, right. whatever. So you could do that uh, contingency in your sale. But is it real? Like, are you really okay with the person taking it afterwards <laughs> if you're doing a, far, a full sale? Right. That's really the question you have to ask. Sell it. But that's a well, great I think the way that we do stuff. it, that, the way that at least uh, somebody I used to sell Hummets through used to do it in when he sells Hummets is that you would put the price tag on all of the Hummets yeah. double of what it costs, what it actually is. Like, all right, if mm-hmm. you want to buy this at the end, fine, but you're going to have to pay me twice of what I'm asking for. That yes, so I so, think that is done here. So the, to answer you one of your previous questions, what the country does, the country actually has an official hetemichira, which the rabbinu, the chief rabbinate, um, takes care of, that they sell whoever wants, the kibbutzim, whatever official land um, the government has, or whatever the kibbutzim, the, the agricultural land, you don't have to sell other land, you don't have to sell office buildings, but the agricultural land is sold to you know a specific person they sell it to, mm-hmm. and and they put on the price and it's a whole big thing they do every year every shmita that they sell a huge amount of land. And again, it's just a question of how serious that really is. Exactly. Um, and they put some pre- some crazy price tag. The problem is you can never know if whether some gonna, yeah. some uh, someone from Abu Dhabi won't show up and actually pay the money at the end. So right, <laughs> you have to be careful with these things. Okay, so. Um... Shemitah is obviously coming up as why we're doing this, but as you mentioned earlier, um, or hinted to, different foods, different different fruits, different vegetables have different seasons. So yes. let's talk a little bit about when when we can start expecting different fruits uh, and, and different vegetation to start really having an effect. Am I going to be able, when, when am I going to be going to the shook and you not just be, start worrying about it? Yeah, yeah and, and it's different for different foods, obviously. Correct. It's for different for different foods. So I, I would divide this up into two categories. You have fruits which grow on a tree, what we classically call fruits. Those, um, those usually with trees, 
Um, the, the, you water them sporadically in Israel, for example, we only get water in, in the winter, as you know. So, you know, you get watered in the winter. Some, some fruit trees, you don't even have to water much after that at all. So what determines the year, if you want, of the fruit, whether it's Schmidt or not, is determined when the fruit starts growing, when it buds, when it's a th essentially a third of the growth. When the fruit is, you know, a small fruit already, that is what determines um, the, the year of the growth. So if, let's say you have fruits that started growing this spring. You have oranges which started growing, you know, a few months ago. So even though you're going to harvest them, you're going to get your oranges um, in the winter, which is the season here for oranges. Those are not going to have Kedusha Shvias. They're not going to be Shemitah produce because they really started growing. They, the formative growth was during the year before Shemitah. So you don't have to worry. Generally with fruits, you do not have Shemitah issues for a while because it has to be something that started growing. Its formative growth was during Shemitah. So you're usually talking towards the end of the Shemitah year when you start seeing fruits that fruits from trees that have Shemitah issues with them. So the beginning of the year, you don't have to worry about it. Vegetables are a different story. Vegetables are the type of things you constantly have to water. They constantly need your attention. So by vegetables, we determine what year it is by the time you, the, the growth is finished, by the time it's you know, ready, for, ready for picking, either being picked or ready for picking. So vegetables, you can already start having Shemitah questions already, Shemitah issues already straight away after Rosh Hashanah. Vegetables, you usually pick them fresh. Um, usually pick them, you know, right, right at that time. So even a week or two after Rosh Hashanah, you can already start to have vegetables appearing in the market, which have kedusha shvias, which are already shvias. Okay, is there uh, are there a difference between uh, vegetables that grow above the ground and grow in, and vegetables that grow in the ground? Not that I know of. No, I think they're all the same category. Okay, um, usually they are the type of things that um, that require more attention. So those are the type of things that. What determines Shemitah is the end of their growth. Sorry, and just for ease sake, vegetables that we're defining is uh, are Hadama things? Hadama, are, yes. Hadama. So where does yeah. banana, or are there bananas that grow in Israel, at least? <laughs> yeah, there are bananas that grow in Israel. Where does banana fall into as far as Shemitah? That's a very good question. I'm not 100% sure about that. Okay. Have to look that up. Uh, for those listening, ask ask your local Orthodox rabbi <laughs> when, you could, when you have to stop uh, buying bananas that grow in Israel. Um, yes, that's a very good question. Okay, um, so I, 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 I lived, I, I was in Israel for a year and a half when in yeshiva. Um, yes, one of the things that I used to do every Friday was go to the shuk and and get something for Shabbos. Um, yes, wh where am I getting my stuff? Like where, 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 where do where, I, I'm, 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 I'm gonna be. Let's say I'm, I'm, I'm an American learning in Israel for a year, and it happens to be yes. ne next year. Where am I getting my stuff? Or even the year afterwards, when when the fruit also starts starts being a problem. Where, where am I getting my fruits from? Where am I getting my vegetables from? Yeah, so th there's there's a couple of different, actually more than a couple. There's six or seven different ways you can get fruits and vegetables. It gets a bit complicated, but I'm going to sort of go through a, a list of different categories, and then you'll see how, how it applies in different areas. So the first thing, which is true in any country nowadays, you know, with the, dealing with global commerce, first thing is that a lot of fruit and, fruit and vegetables that we have don't actually grow where you are. They're imported from, you know, if you're in the States, you import things from the Caribbean in the winter and who knows wherever else. Uh, here also, even though Baruch Hashem and Otisrael, we have uh, good weather and a lot of things grow here, but a lot of things that are get imported. So during Shemitah, um, a, lot of, a lot more things are going to be imported. Obviously, if you get any things imported from Turkey or from who knows wherever else, there's no issue of uh, Shemitah right. for something that grow outside Israel. So that's the first category. And very often you'll see when you, uh, when you go to the shuk or you go to the stores or the supermarkets, you'll see a sign that says, it came from Chutzaretz. It means you don't have to worry about it at all. 
but it also doesn't mean so that, that it's going to be more expensive just so people are well actually so that's a great that's a very good question no one really knows before schmidt exactly what the prices are going to look like it depends look after a year of corona when the supply chains were totally uh all over the place there's no guarantees for prices for anything anymore right um i know i know prices have gone up everywhere so i'm not 100 sure but usually when things are imported they are a bit more expensive okay. that, that is the truth but that's one category um, another category of fruits and vegetables are, we mentioned previously, um, or maybe we didn't, I don't remember, that Shemitah only applies to what is halachically considered to be Israel. Um, and of course, what is halachically considered to be Israel is a whole discussion itself. You know, uh, two weeks ago, we're Parshas Vaishchanan this week. So two weeks ago, we read Parshas Masay, which are the boundaries, the halachic boundaries of Eretz Yisrael when Ole Mitzrayim, when people came up from Mitzrayim, they came into Eretz Yisrael, what were the halachic boundaries of Eretz Yisrael? So that's very relevant here also. You can define, um, geographically define what those boundaries are, and you can grow things outside of those boundaries. And hey, presto, you have fruits and vegetables that are not, uh, not problematic in terms of Shemitah, Tromus, Maisus, anything, essentially. So this has been in every Shemitah cycle. It's a whole discussion. Um, it's a whole, again, the book's written on this, but really the southern boundary of Eretz Yisrael is really the big question. Um, most authorities hold, for example, this might upset a few people, but most okay. authorities hold that Eilat is not considered technically part of Eretz Yisrael. Eilat was not, yeah, Eilat was not technically part of Eretz Yisrael. Uh, the one outlier is Rev Tuchachinsky, who felt that maybe it was. But generally, the consensus is that Eilat and the southern Arava, was the area as you drive down to Eilat, the sort of the bottom part of the Arava, the Negev, is not really technically part of Eretz Yisrael. Um, there's a whole discussion whether you can go to Eilat. Is it considered like you're going to Chutzaret? Mm-hmm. There was a whole discussion in the 50s about whether you have to keep Yontov Sheni in Eilat. A very interesting discussion. I'm not going to go into that now. Totally <laughs> off topic. But just, just to, to show that it's not clear exactly where the boundary of Eretz, the southern boundary of Eretz is. So most Hashkachos here uh, allow, if not all, allow produce that is grown towards Eilat, the southern Arabah, the kibbutzim that live there, to be considered not Eretz Yisrael produce. Um, and they grow a lot of vegetables, they have a lot of greenhouses, you mentioned greenhouses before, and all that produce is not problematic at all. So they supply a lot of the vegetables in Israel during the winter. That's a, a second, second source, category. second category. Um, a third category, which we already mentioned, was hydroponics. And there are some places, just like Gush Katif used to do, where they have extensive greenhouses, which are not just greenhouses, but matsamin, which means things are grown separate from the ground in the greenhouses and a whole, it's a whole big system. Um, so those point to a lot of authorities are also not, do not have Dushashmita, they have no, um, no prohibitions, no restrictions on this. That's the third category. Um, there's another category, which is Arab produce. So we were discussing Hatimahira before, um, but if, Arabs themselves, even if you don't sell Jewish land to, to, to Arabs, they have their own fields, they have their own, um, their own farms. So they produce produce. And that, their produce obviously goes into the markets in a regular year also. Now, people are, try- are relying a lot more, during Shemitah, people are going to be relying a lot more on Arab produce also. Even though there's a big question mark over that um, halachically, um, maybe I'll go into that just very quickly now. There's a whole discussion whether Arab produce still has the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael. If Eretz Yisrael is Kadosh and this Kedusha, which affects the fruits, if the land is, uh, farm X is owned by an Arab, does that mean any produce that they have does not have Kedusha Shviz? Or is it automatically the Kedusha goes bye-bye 
because it's owned by an Arab? Or do you say, no, um, it's, it's land in Eretz Israel, it's fruit that grew in Eretz Israel. And the fact that it happens to be owned by, by Ahmed and Muhammad, it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. It still has Kedusha Shvi'as. So this was a very big uh, discussion, disagreement uh, five, about five centuries ago between the Beis Yosef of Yosef Cairo um, in Tzfat and the Mabit, um, who was a contemporary of his in Tzfat. A very big discussion which went on and has been going on for centuries, essentially, whether Arab produce has Kedusha Shvi'as or not. Um, most people in Eretz Yisrael assume it does not have Kedusha Shvi'as, in which case you're good. Um, but uh, the Chazanish, and in Bnei Brak, they're very makbid. If you go shopping in Bnei Brak, it's very different going Shemitah if you go shopping for produce in Mirach than it is going shopping in Yerushalayim. In Bnei Brak, they won't, they won't use Arab produce so much going Shemitah. They hold it. It's no different from, from Jewish produce. It's Eretz Yisrael. It's, uh, it's because it's owned by Arabs. The still like question the is if the, if the Isser is on the owner or if it's on the land. Wouldn't that be because if it's on the land, then it wouldn't matter if the Arabs own it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's well, yeah. It's saying in terms of the malacha. Yeah, that's an interesting point. That is an interesting point. But they, they felt that even if you even if you couldn't do the malacha, that any fruits which grow there still have. Uh, even if you could do the malacha, couldn't do the malacha, the fruits themselves which grew still have to do the shemitah because it's Eretz Yisrael. Right. It's, it doesn't make a difference. It's Eretz Yisrael. So in Bnei Brak, they follow the Chazanish, who was the rather of Bnei Brak uh, 60, 70 years ago. And they, they hold that Arab produce is the same as Jewish produce. There's no difference. as So therefore, they will, won't rely on Arab produce. Most of Israel relies on Arab produce. And therefore, a lot of supermarkets, you will see, I would say that probably the, the, the primary produce you go to a, a firm supermarket will be either imported produce or Arab produce. Those are going to be the two primary sources. And obviously, there's Hetemichiro, which is a whole different category. Right. OK, so uh, have, is there one more category that you're going to Oh, talk there's about? two more. Two more. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, this no. is why it gets so complicated. Um, this is why another category, as we mentioned, well, <laughs> <laughs> another category is Otsa Basin, we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. What Otsa Basin is, as we mentioned, is that instead of the Jewish farmer working the land, um, without going into the reasoning behind it and the sources behind it, that Basin essentially takes over the land and says, you, it's not your land, you're not doing anything, it's Hefker, but us as a Basin, we are taking care of the produce for the community, for Anim, classically it was for poor people who didn't have any food during Shemitah. So Basin would gather it up and just distribute it essentially for people who don't have what to eat. Um, that's how it was classically. But nowadays, Basin does the same thing. They essentially take over the the management of producing, not so much producing, but harvesting and bringing it to bringing all the fruit and produce to market. Um, and they charge for that overhead. They charge for that overhead of, but they're not allowed to charge for the fruits themselves because the fruits are hefker. They charge for all the overhead, essentially all the manpower to bring the fruit, to get the fruit to market. And that's considered, that's called Otsa based in. And because that's, that grew on Jewish land, that has Kedusha Shvi'as, that has regular, Halachos of Shvias, you only buy a small amount at the time. We'll discuss that perhaps in, in next time. Um, but um, so that is another form of uh, fruits and vegetables that you can get during Shemitah, what's that based in? It's a bit more limited usually because um, depends what's growing in the field at that time. And, um, and finally, you have Hetem Mechir, which we, we already Which discussed. we already covered, yes. Um, so again, uh, this, this question is, I'm, I'm asking it as an American, as, as someone who lives in Khazlar, sure. but it's, it's a fair question for Israelis also. I'm, I'm not yes. going to ask you to endorse any Ashkachos because I know that's, <laughs> that's a whole separate 
thing. But if I'm if I'm going shopping, um, are there any is there any specific markings that my regular hashkacha that I trust might add in so that I know that there's something different about this one that I could use it during shemitah? It's funny you bring that up. Yes, just yesterday or two days ago. So I'm giving shurim right now on the Hilfus Shemitah, as, as many people here are, as we get ready for Shemitah. So I, I saw an article that last Shemitah, there were potato chips that were produced uh, by the same company. I don't remember which company it was, produced potato chips in Israel. And they produced two different, same bag, same everything, two different uh, types of potato chips. There was the Heta Mechira potato chips. So on the bottom of the bag, it said this, the, the potatoes were grown here in Israel, but they are Heta Mechira. And there was another bag of potato chips which had the batatse the charebis on it. And it said these potato, the, these potato chips were made from potatoes that were imported. <laughs> so yes, you will start seeing um, this coming year, both on produce which you buy in the supermarket, so you, you know, snacks and whatever else. But more importantly, when you're buying fresh produce, you will look on top and you'll see what the source of that produce is. Is it Arab produce? Is it imported? Is it hatamikhira? Is it utsa based in and things like that? So yeah, that is something which you have to look out for slowly as we more with vegetables as we said in the beginning but as you get through the year in terms of uh fruits and then wine and, and preserves pickles and things like that obviously that's later on as as these things get produced you're going to see on the bottles of wine so it's a based in wine it's you know whatever else it might be wine you'll see specific labels indicating what type of produce it is all right well since you mentioned wine i'm gonna i'm gonna switch it to another alcohol because sure. there's hard alcohol whiskey that could be sitting in barrels for a while. What, is, is that, is that, if that sits <laughs> through Shemitah, is that a problem? I, I'm not sure they, luckily, I'm not sure they make whiskey in Israel, so I don't <laughs> think have that problem. Uh, that, that, that's a whole problem in of itself in terms of, uh, in terms of, as you know, in terms of wine barrels and, uh, yeah. and other issues, other cash issues. I'm not sure how relevant that, that specifically is to Israel. Okay. All right. Um, and the other one that I was going to ask you is, might people start seeing just even right after Rosh Hashanah signs saying these are this is this produce was grown from last year, so you, that you know to buy that. Or yeah, that so you, you will see that you will see you will yes. So again, in Israel, it's mostly in Hebrew, but you will see signs when you're going to supermarkets will say this is Yavol Shanat Shishit. This is from the sixth year, and also same thing when you get to not next year but the year after, which is essentially you know the year the year post Shemitah you'll still have a lot of Shemitah produce around. Right. And you will see things which say Shnat Shviyas or Shnat Shminis, right? Things that grew after Shemitah, you'll see a lot of signs around. So yes, buyer beware is, is definitely true when you get to Shemitah. You have to look at the labels and try and identify what category these fall into. Hey, I do want to ask you one more thing, and this is, goes back to something you said right at the beginning, where sure. this is a relatively, like in comparison to how long we've been doing other mitzvahs, a relatively new <laughs> phenomenon. Now, I, I've noticed this. This is the second time I've done an episode on something like that. I, I we ended up airing it, but I wanted to do an episode on shotness, and shotness was something that mm. people weren't really keeping for a while, and then it took one man to come in and just you know change how we view shotness, and now everybody has their suits and and new garments checked for shotness before they wear it. Do you think there's another mitzvah out there that hasn't been tackled yet that may be um, something that mm. somebody out there can go into? and bring it back to relevancy, something that we haven't really considered in a while. So whether it be something like Shemitah or Shatnas, is there, is there something out there that kind of needs a, re, a reinvigoration? So it's, it's, it's interesting. One of my, uh, I, I'm very much a, I'm into Dionus, and uh, 
I, I mean, deal with Chush and Mishpat, and this is a totally different tangent than what we're dealing with right now. Yes, it is. But one of the things I think which is very relevant and totally off topic is, um, and hasn't been dealt with, is rules of government. You know, how, how, how is a government, how, is a, how are we supposed to have ethical management? How are we supposed to rule a country? So the same idea is really a Shemitah. We had this huge gap in history of 15, 16, 1700 years where we never had any self-rule. Um, not that things were going so amazingly during Baishani, if you read Josephus, but, but at least there was some semblance of self-rule. We knew what we were doing to a degree. But you know, now we've, we've been back in Eretz Yisrael for 100 years, and uh, there have been Sfarim written, definitely the Tzeliezer, or there's a Waldenberg, or the whole Sefer Chus Medina. I mean, Sutton Sfarim written, but there's a, definitely a huge field of how we're supposed to rule ourselves, how we're supposed to be, you know, Ola Goyim, but also Ola Atzmenu, how we're supposed to really be ethically managing our country, our organizations, our companies, and things like that. So the, I definitely think that's a major field that, that is ripe for, uh, right for someone for who wants to tackle it. Time. Yes, <laughs> tackle it, yes. Um, before I let you go, is there anything else you wanted to uh, let us know about? Is there anything else that you think is important that we didn't cover yet? Um, I think what we did here, I think we get a very good summary, initial summary for preparation for Shemitah, which I think is very important. Obviously, we are uh, about six weeks away from Shemitah, um, and also sort of the, the highlights of all the different projects. I think we covered you know, most of that very well. And again, just to perhaps summarize, a lot of things to be taken care of now, if you live in Israel before Shemitah, with your yard, with your, um, with your, your plants, wherever they're hanging, with your, um, with your building. So there's a lot of things to be done before Shemitah, but also just to get ready and then think about how you want to, how you want to purchase produce. So just to, to end off with, we mentioned, I think it's six different ways you can get produce. And a lot of people now are deliberating, you know, which one should they use? You know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. you have six options. What do you want to buy? Uh, Ota Basin specifically, do you want to buy, you want, do you want to use Heta Mechira? And one of the things which is coming up is, um, and there's organizations which are promoting this, Jewish farmers, and I think one of the initial questions that you asked, where Jewish farmers are really going to have a hard time with Parnassa. There's been money coming from the site from this and that. Do you want to try and support Jewish produce as opposed to Arab produce, for example? So there are people who will not who will try and buy from all the four other ways, which is from the Arava, from near Eilat, and from hydroponics and other things. And they want they prefer not to buy Arab produce, not, not for any bad reasons, but because they want to support Jewish farmers who are keeping Shemitah. So there are organizations such as Otsar Haaretz, which is an organization was started, I think, uh, for about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, which will disseminate produce and they will get the produce for you from Jewish sources and they will give you the produce. There's a lot of organizations here that are trying to help people, help the farmers get through the year and also help people get the produce that they want, uh, quality produce, hopefully, during, uh, during Shemitah year. So please support, please support all the farmers as much as you can. All right, Rabbi Matri Rabinowitz, thank you so much for coming. Is there any uh, way that people can reach out to you if they have questions, if they want to maybe bring you in as a uh, as a speaker in their in their various uh, Jewish organizations? Do you sure. do that type I'm, of thing? I'm, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely available by email and WhatsApp. I'm not sure if this is the forum to put that on. If you would like yes. to, sure, absolutely. Yes, sure. I'm available by email at uh, Motti Rab M O T T Y R A B at gmail.com. It's probably the easiest way to reach me. And if uh, and if anybody wants uh, Robert Rudowitz's phone number to WhatsApp him, you could reach out to me specifically, and I and I will make sure that it's okay with Robert Rudowitz, and then we'll sure. forward we'll forward it on. All right. 
Sounds good. All right, Rabinos, thank you so much for joining me this week and uh, have a great uh, rest of your year and good luck next Indeed. year. Thank you very much. Thank you. You too. My thanks to Rabbi Mati Rabinowitz for joining us this week. Our regular disclaimer holds true whenever we discuss any halacha on this show. Do not make your halachic decisions based on what you heard in a podcast. This show is meant to give a broad overview of how Shemitah may affect you in the coming year. But if you have any specific questions, it's always a good idea to consult your usual rabbinic authority. Until next time, kol tov. The Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Sreli Pikes. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg. Follow us on Facebook at The Jewish Living Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at Jewish underscore living. You can also email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link.